0: Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years.
1: Yes, yeah, a very good afternoon slash evening everyone. Welcome to Drive with Peter Vlahos on this Wednesday and plenty coming up in sport. Shortly I'll speak to Braden Quartermain, leading football and sports writer with the West Australian. We're just going to tap in to the Fremantle Dockers and the West Coast Eagles, get the latest information from them. And his thoughts certainly on a couple of other footy issues going around. Later, I'll speak to Craig Foster, uh, the man that works with Stan Sport. But as we know, Craig Foster is a man that is very busy. He's a former footballer. He's a human rights advocate and sports presenter. And we're going to have a chat to him about the world game here in Australia. And also we'll touch on... What's happening in England with Manchester United and Liverpool, who, by the way, play each other this week. And you wouldn't have uh, dreamt about it. Manchester United, two losses from their opening two games at the foot of the English Premier League. And Liverpool, two draws against certainly not stronger position, Fulham and Crystal Palace in their opening two games as well. And we'll talk about the Socceroos and their continued build-up to the World Cup. And Craig will give us his thoughts on how far they're going to progress. But I might as well kick it off with, it's like the days of our lives. It's like one of the great soap operas of all time. What's the latest with Alistair Clarkson? Well, he's spoken for the first time amid the two-club chase to land his coaching services, and there was further speculation today because he flew into Adelaide, and people were thinking, why has he gone to Adelaide? Is there a possibility that he could be linked with the Port Adelaide job? On sunrise this morning, this is what happened. Of course, uh, David Koch is the president of Port Adelaide. Have a listen to what transpired.
2: In-demand coach Alistair Clarkson has set tongues wagging, touching down at Adelaide Airport overnight. The four-time premiership winner says he is in town to visit a sick friend and not in talks to sign with the power. We shall see. Clarkson is the subject oh, of a bidding war between Essendon see. and North Melbourne. It's not Gogglebox, Koshy. And he's reportedly <laughs> rejected another offer to coach the Giants, reportedly. It's good marketing. Would you, like to,
3: would you like to say something? Where are you? Good you, marketing.
2: Comment from Koshy. David yeah,
3: Kosh, no, president.
1: Good marketing. No, nothing to see here, Eddie. All right. In. And, and who, who told cameras to be at the airport that he was on the plane? I don't know. End quote. Okay, so there you go. That was this morning. And Channel 7 reported that Clarkson is keen on waiting until after round 23 to make a decision, out of respect to the current coaches, Essendon's Ben Rutten, who's contracted until the end of 2023, and North Melbourne's interim boss being Lee Adams, who said this.
0: Yeah, I have heard a little whisper we're going after Clarko. Um... Yeah, it's out of our hands. I think it will be fantastic if he wants to come to our footy club and and coach our footy club. Um, if he doesn't, we'll get the next best person in, and they'll come in. And as I keep saying, um, week after week, is we've got a pretty talented group here. Um, we're not perfect, but whoever does end up getting the coaching reins is going to get a, a pretty pretty unique group that we feel like um, has got some real talent and um, can get up the ladder hopefully quicker. But um, whoever gets that job, I think it's a great job
2: you think it is
3: a a harder sell obviously Essendon one of the bigger clubs they're quite financially well backed but what
0: would be the sell I suppose for the North Melbourne perspective aside from the talent prospect? Yeah I'm I'm, I'm not 100% sure what he's weighing up what I know is he's got some great people inside this footy club not just players but our staff in here are are fantastic Um, hopefully it pulls on the heartstrings a little bit that he was a former player here and um, understands the culture and, and the people within this place and I can't speak for Essendon but what I can speak is that the people here are fantastic and we've got a good group of players and if he does come here I think it'll be a, a great move but at the end of the day that's his decision. There's been a
3: suggestion that there might be a plan B in the works with Ken Hinckley a potential maybe Leon Cameron. Uh, what
2: are your thoughts
0: around that? Oh, that's, that's well above my pay grade and my over my head I'm just worrying about getting through this week um, and then you know, Sonia and the board and Whoever else is involved in the football department will make those decisions and and we'll just worry about getting our guys through this weekend, getting a win and then um, see what happens next.
1: Yeah, well answered. Well answered. Interesting questions. Uh, I reckon North Melbourne could beat the Gold Coast Suns this week. And by the way, back to Clark. He flew to Adelaide uh, to visit a sick friend, uh, a person that he knows very well and he wanted to be uh, supportive of uh, this individual who's going through a bit of a tough time at the moment there in Adelaide. All right. Uh, you can join us anytime on the tempera bedshed text line 0487 736 736 or the Scarborough Toyota open line 1312 55. As we go to the break coming up later on, we'll bring you the latest on Serena Williams. She had a shocker this morning. She was beaten by Edda Ranakanu, who of course won the US Open last year, but she lost six love in the second set. Also... We will get the latest on Manchester United and Craig Foster. Wayne Carey will have his say also on Alistair Clarkson. And we've got a bit of this. And And you're probably asking, why am I playing Kiss? Well, their big bass player is Gene Simmons. And I believe Gene Simmons could be a guest of an AFL club this weekend. I'll tell you who that is later here on Drive with Peter Vlahos.
2: A on a night.
1: Great to have your company. Uh, this is Drive with Peter Vlahos. Of course, tomorrow night, Kim Hagdorn joins us in the studio as we look at the AFL team selections. And it'll be interesting to see both West Coast and Fremantle, particularly West Coast, uh, how many players actually will travel to Geelong from what is a fate accompli the Cats will win but maybe a case of the Cats also resting a few players as well knowing that they've already secured the minor premiership and that they are top of the AFL after the home and away round a man that's very well respected we certainly like having a chat to him spasmodically here on the program because he's right across everything that's happening at the Eagles and Dockers is Braden Quartermain from the west and he joins us on the program now Braden thanks for your time. G'day, Pete. Good to join you on this very gloomy day. I'm saying you're staying dry. Yeah, yeah, in the office
3: today. So, oh, very uh, good.
1: To keep out of it, so far. Mate, what do you think? Uh, let's go to West Coast first. Um, what sort of side or what sort of team are they likely to sec- select in your eyes uh, tomorrow night? Considering you know Andrew Gaffey's store, you think Nick he won't travel? It's going to be an interesting little selection uh, situation for West Coast uh, at the table tomorrow night.
3: Yeah, it's going to be well. The uh, the reality is, it's going to be a you know a very much an understrength uh, side, and uh, uh, going to be in big trouble of a sort.
1: uh in Geelong.
3: Yeah, I mean Jack Waterman's out as well now, and and obviously with No. Kennedy, uh, at least, I'm pretty um, you know pretty thin for marking targets as well. There's not not really a lot to play alongside Jack Darling. That's probably the major issue at the moment. They're okay for defenders, so I, I guess uh, Bailey Williams could play as a you know, as a forward, I suppose, um, alongside Jack Darling. But yeah, it's getting uh, pretty thin now. And I'm not sure how the waffle team's going to go. There's not, <laughs> not so as many players left over for uh, for them with still a few legs to go as well. So yeah, I mean, it's I guess there's not a lot to be uh, to be gained. So I'm not sure what you do with these sore blokes. I'm, I'm not, I don't know that know is being completely ruled out. They, they might see some benefit in it. And of course, there is a couple of uh, guys coming back from suspension. Uh, you know, for the final game, Tim Kelly and um, and Jar Cully as well. So there's
1: uh, there's a bit, you know, for the midfield. Yeah, interesting. And I think, you know, I reckon the players are thinking to themselves, last game of the season, we know it's going to be difficult. We're unlikely to challenge Geelong. We've got to fly to Melbourne, then coach it down to Geelong, and then coach back to Tullamarine and head back home. It's not going to be a very enjoyable weekend for whoever takes that long trip, and of course, after that, it's the end of the season and the player reviews start. And I think next week will be quite interesting because no doubt a few decisions will be made.
3: Yeah, it's a strange time, isn't it? And and you know the the, the fact is, the Eagles have set far better sides to Geelong than this, and got Wallops. Yeah, so it's it's pretty hard. You know, it's just a it's a real nightmare ground for the Eagles, hasn't it? And it has been for a long time, even even when they're near full strength. So. Yeah, I suppose, you know, you you try and you know, play play the younger players in some um you know, some important positions and uh get them to learn something. Uh yeah, the the B and Fs at the end of next week. Uh, so it's, it's not when you have your best and in August, you you know it hasn't been a great season, don't you?
1: Know, Is that, that right? August. It's so, next week.
3: Yeah, that wasn't part of the plan at the start of the year and uh, at August John Wolfold medals, so um you know that, that that sums it up I guess. But yeah, no doubt obviously all the um you know the normal meetings and that sort of a thing I, I and I and but yeah, with the waffle season sort of being out of alignment now, I suppose um you know some of the younger players maybe they can benefit from um going back and it doesn't normally happen, but I wonder you know with them not having experienced much success or anything if they could actually try and field a a decent sort of team in the waffle and, and maybe finish off with a couple of wins. So mm. I'm not so sure how their opponents would feel <laughs> if West Coast were able to, to, to sort of stack it. But there'd obviously be quite a few that would be qualified. Yeah.
1: Well, let's talk about Fremantle because, uh, as we know, there's a bit more life in the Dockers. they will play this week uh, away at Manuka Oval against the Giants, and then I've got a home final, whether it is... Uh, well, at this stage, we're looking at an elimination final. How do you see it playing out for Fremantle?
3: Well, you say looking at elimination final, but, you know, I mean, uh, Carlton Collingwood's probably a 50-50 game. Uh, I would have thought in most people's eyes on uh, Sunday and that, that's what it'll come down to. So, you're yeah, free off, just got to get the job done. It's, uh, that's all that matters. And, you know, then they just need Carlton to get up for them and, and it's top four. So, I, I think it's, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, it's it's um, you know, a realistic sort of scenario, uh, that's for sure. But, yeah, I guess you've just got to try and forget Sunday and... Uh, as Justin Almeer has said, make sure you take care of Saturday. Mm.
1: What do you do with Rory Lobb?
3: Yeah, that's uh, interesting. I mean, Frio's issues are are up forward as well. Uh, no Tabner. I mean, Griffin Logue was very sore this morning as well, which has added to it. So he's a he's the last uh, sort of bloke you'd want to lose. They've got a, got a lot of issues. Uh, Josh Tracy is is sick. He's got some virus that's lingered for a mm. while, so he'd he'd be a natural sort of replacement. Uh, Amos is not ready. He's only had, you know, one game back for a few touches last week, you know, with his serious uh, internal injuries from earlier in the season. Tabernet out. Logue saw. Lob saw. So it's... And, and, you know, you can't just sort of take this game lightly because obviously they've got to take care of their end of the bargain and win it. So, yeah, it's I think, you know, Lob's going to have to play. I mean, um, uh, Justin Omier was pretty um, bullish straight after the game the other night. You know, things can change, but that he expected a lob to play, that's what he said. So I still think he's every chance. He didn't do a lot of training, but I think it's probably the, you know, the kind of injury where you sort of know what you're dealing with and it's just a matter of sort of strapping it up and um, coping with the pain. I don't think it's the type of thing where you, you you sort of need to put it through its paces too much during the week. It just makes it worse. It's just yeah. you, you know, you recover and, and sort of protect yourself, uh, you know, as best you can. And then you get out there and do it for the team. And I think they're going to have to, I think he's going to need to play because they have to win the game.
1: Interesting. Uh, I was surprised he stayed on the ground as long as he did against the West Coast Eagles in the Derby last week. Uh, I would have certainly activated Bailey Banfield a bit earlier. What were your thoughts on the way they uh, looked after Lob and handled Lob last week?
3: Well, I think he stayed out there to be, to, because they wanted to be sure they were winning the game. I think he only came off when they, you know, when they were about four goals clear with not many, you know, too long left, and they decided it was in the bag. So that was when he came off. Like, you know, they wanted him out there to win the game. I mean, they, this came up in the, the press conference after the game. The, the, the bizarre situation we're in with this ridiculous medical sub rule that everyone sort of forgets the rule actually says that your medical staff have to determine at the time that the player will miss the next 12 days at least. So, which means they're meant to have decided Rory Lobb won't be playing this week. And then, of course, the coach walks into the press conference straight after and says, No, we expect you'll play next week. Mm. So, there's this ridiculous rule that everybody ignores. And um, you know Fremantle certainly aren't the uh, aren't the first team to have uh, had a player play the next week. Everyone does it. it. It's as if it doesn't exist. So it's just ridiculous. And I think it's likely to be scrapped yeah. um, after the season. But um, yeah, I mean I, the, the fact is, even log with one arm, that they they thought was a better bet to at least try and give a contest. I suppose because obviously is was, was running amok and. Uh, you know,
1: they just needed someone to try and compete. I'll tell you what was interesting, and I think it was reassuring last week with Sean Darcy's return to form. Had been down for about the last three or four weeks, but his return to form was certainly encouraging for Fremantle as they look at a uh, finals run, because he's such an important player, isn't he?
3: It gives him a new dimension, doesn't he? That that marking around the ground was was what was so important last year. You know, he's been a great tap ruckman for a while, but last year when he started clunking, those contested grabs, you know, all around the ground, forward, back, on the wing, everywhere. That that just really, um, you know, made them look a lot more dangerous. So, yeah, I mean, Nick Natanou probably wasn't, uh, you know, um, in tip-top condition last week and obviously doesn't play as much... Uh, game time on the field either but but still clearly that's the best Sean Darcy we've, uh, we've probably seen this year I reckon.
1: Yeah no he was outstanding don't worry about that and just before I let you go Tom Barris who was outstanding many people think was he the best player on the ground last week in the Western Derby you'd think he'd be an All-Australian fullback would you put him down?
3: Yeah I'd be happy to I'd be happy to have him I reckon I mean there's there's this sort of thing where uh, people say, oh, too, the team's too low on the ladder and hasn't won enough games. But I feel like, for a key defender, I mean, that's a that's a that's a good thing, isn't it? You, I mean, no no one's had to deal with more inside fifties coming in than the West Coast defence. So, I mean, I would have thought it sort of, you know, adds to the merit of his of his claims rather than takes away from it. The fact you're playing in in West Coast defence rather than. You know, one of the teams up the at uh, the top, where you obviously get life a lot easier. Yeah, he's been sensational in the second half of the second half of the season. I guess it's it's probably coincided a bit with, um, you know, Jeremy McGovern going down. So he's he's really had to to step up. And you know, they're just two great players, and they're so similar now, aren't they? Just uh, it'd be great for West Coast if they could get them uh,
1: up and running together. We know there'll be an overhaul of the West Coast Eagles list uh, for 2023 and that'll come in the next couple of weeks after v- uh, review meetings and, and what the football department does do. But uh, Paul Hazelby, of course, writes a column weekly for the West Australian, also part of the SENWA uh, program, 3-5 to five on the run home with Damien Martin. Doesn't expect Griffin Logue to be at the Dockers next year. In fact, I spoke to Griffin Logue at a function last Friday lunchtime, just before the Derby, and he says, uh, and I threw him that question, and he says, well, just talk to my manager, Colin Young, who was in the audience as well. He can give you a bit of a spin on uh, where things are at. What are you hearing? Well, I mean, it's the the, like, the fact is, we've,
3: what are we, round 23? And, he's, he's, you know, he's not signed. Clearly, there's just lots of far better offers that have come for him yeah i i'm a bit i'd be a bit nervous about letting him go if i was Fremantle. i i think he's underrated it's been you know it's been such a such a strange year isn't it with the they can't fit him into the back line he i i've seen some stats that his one on one um sort of you know win winning contest rate is up there with with any defender in the a f l um you know they can't they can't squeeze him into the back line and he does a you know half decent job you know, forward in the ruck, sort of whatever they ask him to do. It'd just be a real shame to lose him, I reckon. Top 10 draft pick put all, put all this, you know, development into him. He probably wasn't the most natural footballer to begin with. He was, a you know, a rower and a basketballer and a great athlete. But he's going to be a pretty handy footballer going forward, I think. And yeah. Yeah, it'd be a real shame to to lose him, but short answer, yeah, I think it's going to be difficult, um, especially if you're obviously spending a lot of money to bring in Luke Jackson. Exactly.
1: Uh, Braden, always love having a chat to you. Thanks for making your time available again. I really appreciate it and uh, enjoy the remainder of the week. And what promises to be an exciting weekend of AFL action as the home and away season comes to an end. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Cheers. Thanks, Pete. Good to chat. Good on you. 21 past five here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre where you get the right tool from the start. Back with more. We'll focus on a bit of other sport in the next segment before we speak to Craig Foster about uh, the World Games. So don't go away. Craig Foster will be very interesting and also as I mentioned I believe that Gene Simmons from KISS has been invited by an AFL club to one of the games at the weekend. We'll tell you which one that is. (laughs) 22 past 5.
0: Game. Matter, it's that's
1: just possible. too good from Emma Raducanu. Solid serving throughout the match. Solid ground strokes and only one unforced error throughout the match. Emma Raducanu takes out Serena Williams in her what we expect to be final ever match in Cincinnati at the Western and Southern Open. She gets it done. She's into the second round. 6-4, 6-love, 65 minutes. It's interesting. uh, I caught the end of that match. She just took a tennis bag. Everyone applauded her, including uh, Emma Raducanu, and she just went down the players' race. No doubt uh, they asked if she could maybe speak to the Cincinnati crowd but she decided to uh, maybe just go away. I think she was a bit emotional uh, because of the, the result and also the fact that it was the last time at Cincinnati. Uh, this is a sports update. Thanks to Tyre Power. Buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres at Tyre Power. Thanks for sponsoring the sports update here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. Staying with tennis, and this is an interesting chat, Nick Kirios began the last major US Open tune-up. He won 7-5, 6-4 over Alejandro Davidovich for Kina this morning at the Cincinnati Masters. He marched through with 29 winners, including 10 aces, and three breaks of the Spaniard's surf to reach the second round. He now faces good friend Taylor Fritz, and he was as a guest of the Tennis Channel, and they've got the set outside amongst the crowd. This is a very good chat. Have a listen to Nick here.
4: Um, you lost a tough one last week, but had a few days rest which you really haven't had in a while in a way that that must have helped a little bit oh I mean getting out of Montreal to Cincinnati was disgusting um the flights were horrible um you know I left the hotel at 10 a.m got up 10 p.m didn't really no no come on yes 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 yes. so that wasn't ideal um and then I had one day off so thanks for that I appreciate (laughs) um um, yeah you know that's the tennis grind you know that's the way the schedule works and that's just what it is everyone around this time of the year I, I feel like could would love a holiday but you know that's the that's the trick. If You've got to try and find ways to be efficient and, and finish these early rounds. You know, Fritz, I saw Fritz won one-on-one. One. Uh, that would have been nice. Um, but, but You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. We, we talked a little bit about it, but it's the grind is a little bit different for you because home is so far away. So you kind of have to deal with even more of a challenge than the rest of the guys. Yeah, I mean, no one but Australians understand this. You know, even I play quite a light schedule and I'm still doing a lot more than any other international player travel-wise. So, you know, it's just incredibly hard to just try and, come to to work every day essentially with a fresh mindset you know not seeing your parents not seeing your own bed your dogs your your home so you know that's something that i've got to deal with as well but um you know i'm doing a great job um as i said i'm fortunate enough to have my team here with me you know my girlfriend does a good job um and you know just my best friend and, and will my physio you know we all we do it together so that's important we all know you're a superstar personality. You mix well with the city of lights, all the big cities around the world, but this is this is Midwest vibes around here. How are, how are you and Cause liking it here? Um well, I'm not going to tell you what Cause thinks about Cincinnati. No. <laughs> no, uh, it, It's okay. Okay, um, okay, okay. No, but you know, I, I uh, you know I've played some of my best tennis in Cincinnati. I really like it. It's actually good that there's not much to do off the court, which is, you know, makes me stay in and, and get good rest. So, um, you know, I think before New York, it's important to have a down week like this. Make sure you hit Kings Island, though. I did yesterday. I, I did yesterday, and I lost my phone already. Oh no! I went a roller coaster. and I checked my pocket, gone. I swear. <laughs> so don't mind the roller coasters. Though. I love the roller coasters. Yeah, I got. I, I'm on to post. I lost my phone though, so I have got to. I'll figure that out. Okay, brilliant. You know, you take us on a couple of roller coasters yourself during some of your matches. Is that a dig, or? No, absolutely not, well, it's you a not good thing. Do not want to be entertained, though? Or... We, we, we absolutely want to be entertained. <laughs> Y'all entertained by this man? <laughs> Nick, well done today. Thank
1: you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, good chat, I reckon. Uh, The tennis channel there, United States, and the crowd was behind him, uh, and they all hang off every word. So uh, there you go. Just some news. Alistair Clarkson's manager, James Henderson, has released a statement to Eddie Maguire, saying the four-time Premiership winner has all the elements in front of him to reach a decision regarding coaching either North Melbourne or Essendon. As I said, I reckon the uh, d- decision and the announcement will be made after this weekend's footy. As we go to the break, uh, Craig Foster is going to join us and he's going to talk about Manchester United plus so much more. This is Craig Burley, who's a former Scottish international player, uh, played at Chelsea and Derby County. His thoughts on Man U. The
0: reports are that, that Eric Ten Hag is already letting it be known through his sources that it is even worse than he thought. Yeah. And he is in the quicksand at the moment and getting absolutely nowhere. I mean, what a, what a disgrace in terms of the way this place has been run. And they're going to leave it... I mean, they might pull something out of the hat. And it looks like they're going to leave but it... what? All. What are they going to pull out of the hat? Just a rabbit.
1: Craig Burley uh, who's on ESPN and also BT Sport uh, talking about Man United I want to talk to Craig Foster about Man United plus the Socceroos plus so much more that's coming up next here on Drive with Peter Vlahos thanks to Toolmart the complete Tool Centre Welcome back to Drive with Peter Vlahos on this uh, wet sort of Wednesday afternoon. But don't worry, it's going to get better from tomorrow and we'll have a hint of uh, spring weather come the weekend. Of course, spring then rolls into summer and, of course, all of a sudden the round ball game gets very exciting because the A-League gets underway and we have the World Cup happening, as we know, in the middle of November. Now, a man that I could really talk a long time with, but uh, we've only got a certain period of time, is Craig Foster, known as Fozzie, you know, former footballer, human rights advocate, uh, sports presenter. He's done a lot of things in his life, but I thought I'd get him on uh, the program today to have a chat about uh, his number one passion, and that is, of
2: course, uh, the world game. Fozzie, thanks for your time. Yeah, it's always good to uh, talk to you, Pete, and, of course, you're a football pedigree, if you like, goes back a very, very long time. <laughs> I know you were, you were, you were doing some stuff with Les and Johnny, the two great legends, so uh, yeah. it's always good to chat.
1: It's amazing, really. and I look back to those days, and uh, I, yeah. remember, I remember going to Uruguay, actually Montevideo, and in the early wow. 2000s, and called the game. Uh, back on the uh, then radio network, back to Australia myself, yeah, Johnny yeah. Warren, and would you believe Clinton Gribus. And uh, sometimes wow. that you realise out of those three, I'm the only one that's still alive on this planet. <laughs> so there's a real mortality yeah. about oh, things like true. that. And you've been involved in the game well, for a long time, and you would have met some
2: real personalities in that time. Oh yeah, and of course those two, lads and Johnny, had the, you know had the privilege and pleasure of working with them, knowing them, and being and being you know really great friends. So. Uh, For all of us, and that includes yourself, who had the the pleasure of working with them and knowing them, you know, they're very, very fond memories.
1: Yeah. You're still involved in football. I don't think you could ever not be involved with football, and currently you're doing some great work with Stan Sport. You enjoying that?
2: Mm. Yeah, I love that, yeah. Look, as you say, I'm always going to be around the game, helping the game, whatever people need, and, and pretty much whenever they ask. I do a lot of Indigenous football, so I work with, I'm the patron of the Indigenous Roos and Koalas, which are the two Indigenous-led what they consider their national teams. Uh, and they play a few times a year. They play national championships and then they get together. That's been pretty special to, to see that build and grow. And we want to see them, you know, supported by the game and uh, and leading the Indigenous game. You know, we, we had the launch of a new Indigenous Football Council recently. You know, my good mate Goodsey, Adam Goodsey's on mm, it. And mm. Stan Grant, yeah, and Tracy Holmes and... Uh, and a whole range of people, um, uh, and Danny Townsend, who's, of course the, is uh, you know the head of the APL. So it's really you know so so there's some good steps happening there. And, and I and I do the Champions League and Europa League with uh, the great uh, Mark Bosnich uh, and Max Rustian. We love working together and, and covering the best football in the world. It's beautiful. Yeah, saying that
1: we see the impact that Indigenous footballers have in Australian rules football and and the mm-hmm. National Rugby mm-hmm. League. What are your thoughts on where it sits uh, in relation to
2: the world game? Yeah, well, it's horrible. It's horrendous. It's terrible um, and it's embarrassing. You know, what, what the game's done over so many decades, um, you know, that's been admitted by the game, you know, a bunch of times. The successive CEOs come in and just say, look, we haven't done a good job. But to date, you know, that's still continuing. What's happened is in, in the absence of the game having a really you know first a great commitment a solid commitment to first nations and then being able to work with them and empower them uh, there's been some great external kind of programs which are indigenous led which to me is much more important so i think the future of indigenous sport if you like is this, this issue of self-determination. You said I was a human rights activist, which I am, and one of the rights that Indigenous peoples have around the world is the, is the right to be included and, um, and to have a say in their own destiny. And, you know, that's what the Uluru Statement's all about. That's what um, the Indigenous Roos and Koala's about. It's what the Indigenous Football Council's about. So I'd like to see the model turned around where Indigenous Australia says to Football Australia, for example, look, we're you know, we're, we're bringing our own culture, we're bringing our own decisions, um, you know, We have our own view of how the game 's played, and what we want to do is we 'll work with you and um, but you know we we deserve a share of the national funding um, and you know we 'll run our own programs for our kids we 'll run our own national championships and and you know that, in my view is the way to go
1: it 's interesting it 's almost now fifty years since uh, Harry Williams was the first Aboriginal soccer room We yeah. mentioned Johnny yeah. Warren. Uh, in, uh, in the introduction, of course, you played with yeah. Johnny in the 1974 World Cup. And so exactly. you're saying there hasn't been a great progression in half a century.
2: Why well, not? it's absolutely shocking. I mean, um, you know, we don't have a national program. So and there's no Indigenous round um, in Australian football, I think, in part because, you know, the game is kind of embarrassed that, you know, it hasn't done enough. Um, and so there's now some steps by Football Australia to, you know, they're, they're, they're getting their first reconciliation action plan, you know. Um, we're a bit late to the party as a game, but at least that's coming. And, you know, they've got some plans to try and bring it up. The big the big issue is, you know, who's who has responsibility to do that? And I think the old model of, well, um, let's face it, a largely non-Indigenous, so a largely white-led game says, well, we're going to do these programs for you, get some government funding and here you go has to be turned around. Mm. Uh, And that whole conversation's turned around. People are realising that you have to involve First Nations, that they have the right to do it in the way that they wish, that they want their elders involved. And so that's wonderful. I think they have a right to say we're entitled to you know, a small percentage um, of what the national game is and we're going to empower our own kids and we're going to do it through our own communities. And that, thats a, in my view, is is the model going forward for, for um, you know, self-determination and, and reconciliation and having all of those conversations is about empowering First Nations. I'll give you an example. So Indigenous Roos uh, is their, you know, their what they consider their national team um, that comes out of the national championships with 40 or 50 different nations who play in it and uh, they didn't have a coach They you know, had Frank Farina who's part indigenous or who is indigenous and um and he couldn't be there so they wanted me to coach the team and I said to them, I'm not I will take the team but you cannot put me down as the coach because in my view your national team should always be coached by a first nations person and if you don't have one I'll help I'll help you build it I'll find funding for you. We'll enable your people, um, you know, because I've had opportunity. We've all had opportunities that you haven't, and it's time we gave you those opportunities, not took them for ourselves.
1: Mm. Well, you played professionally for a good decade and a half, and, of course, you played for the Socceroos, and you captained the Socceroos Mm -hmm. as well, Craig. So looking Mm -hmm. at the Socceroos now as they prepare to head to Qatar and partake Mm -hmm. in the World Cup, how do you see the national team?
2: Well, the Qatar World Cup itself is, you know, is is a real challenge because of what's happened there. You know, you've had a lot of harm, you know, go on. There's been a lot of controversy over 10 years. You know, the players are going to go there from right around the world and protest, and rightly so. We've got issues with migrant workers dying and all that stuff. So, you know, the older I get, that's as much a focus as the football itself for me because I want to see the game conduct itself properly. I don't want to see the game, you know, bring harm to countries where the World Cup goes, for example. So the players of the day... Um, you know, we'll talk about it. And rightly so, they can't turn a blind eye. But I think it's former players like myself that has a greater responsibility to speak out on and actually do something about it. Um, where the team is at the moment is a marvellous effort to get through. Um, you know, they were, if you like, certainly not favourites. They hadn't been playing well over at least a 12-month period or so. And Saudi and, and Japan have been doing better than us. So there was a lot of... If you like scepticism, I just think, you know, a lack of confidence from the fans that, you know, they were going to make it. Um, Of course, you never underestimate Australian national teams. That just goes without saying. Um, But their performances didn't, you know, didn't inspire confidence. But they went into the two games against UAE and uh, Peru in particular and just did absolutely brilliantly. Graham Arnold made some great decisions. He changed things in his team. Uh, He changed offensively a little bit to to, um, just provide a bit more solidity. And, of course, he made that hugely courageous decision to bring Andrew Redemain on in his third cap, you know, for for Matty Ryan, the captain and, and, you know, a legend and highly experienced player. And he brought on the second keeper for the penalty shootout. I thought it was beautiful because it showed that he was relying both on his staff, his goalkeeping coach, and on his full squad. And I see it as very Australian because the only way that we're going to get to the very top where we aspire to and where Les and Johnny believed we could is by using our whole squad, by being innovative, by making those big decisions, by analysing the game better than anyone. We need to be smarter. And that's not easy in the world game because, Mm. you know, you see how many countries are fantastic. So it was a good step. Um, we want the team to go you know every well, this is a fifth consecutive and sixth for the men only, um and then what that means is each time we we want to go further than the last, that's the objective. so they they we want them to get out of the group. Um, that's a very big task in in what's a quite difficult group, but that is the objective. um that's what the country has to be seeking to achieve. So it's up to Graham to find a way to to uh, to do so.
1: We're not purely making up numbers, Craig, Do you think we can be more than nuisance value?
2: Um look what they showed against Peru is that when they have the right um tactical plan um and you know and they're in a good position and we had Aaron Moy and we had our top players only Tommy Rogic was out basically. So, you know, when as long as out we can get everyone fit there and Graham can come up with the right plans against the opponents and that's important for Australia. You know, we're not at the moment I believe it will be someday, but we're not France, so you know we don't have um, Kylian Mbappe. You know we don't have. In the women's, we do. We've got incredible Sam Kerr. I think she's going to be announced as the number one player in the world. But uh, in the men, no. So we're still building in that regard. So we need to be more clever. We need to understand their game. We need to stop them and be able to exploit them. So you know the the technical side of the game is incredibly important. Um, nothing's impossible. You know, look France, for example, they won the '98 World Cup. Um, and they went to 2002 and were an absolute flop. Um, they then went to 2010 and they, they basically self-combusted um, and, uh, you know, it was a total disaster. So uh, 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 teams who are so reigning champions in the subsequent World Cup very often are very poor for whatever reason. Yeah. Right? Perhaps it's hubris, you know, perhaps it's... Um, you know, they've been living you know, they've been living off the reputation for the last four years. So you never take anything for granted at World Cup level. But the ultimate objective is for us to continue to grow and build and get better every four years and with the view and the and the great worthy aim of one day being able to win it. Amazing. You mentioned Sam Kerr.
1: Uh, we have the World Cup, of course, in Qatar, the Men's World Cup, and then the Women's World Cup here in Australia in 2023. Yep. And you said that she could be announced as the number one player yeah. in the world. Not bad for a little lass that came from the southern uh, suburbs of Perth and where she has gone and carried really women's
2: football here in Australia on her shoulders. Incredible, yeah. And look, and she's also stood on the shoulders of, you know, many great legends before her that came. You know, let's always acknowledge that. Cheryl Salisbury and all those who didn't have the same opportunities. Uh, you know, each generation should, um, you know, stand on stand on you know, what the, the one before had, had done for them, and so Sam's aware of that. Uh, look, I hope that Australia really realises because, you know, we're not... It's still not the number one sport here, right? So, do we really understand that if Sam Kerr is acknowledged in in only a couple of months as the Ballon d'Or female winner, that as the number one football female football in the world, like how extraordinary that actually mm-hmm. is? That that may never be. She was number three last year. She's certainly going to be number two, in my view. And the only because she was so brilliant at Chelsea this year, she won titles and she was top scorer again. The only person that could possibly beat her is one of the English Lionesses, the national team who won the Euros recently. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure if the voting was stopped because I don't vote in anymore. Perhaps the voting was already stopped. If it was and that didn't count, she's won it already. The only person, maybe one of them, because that's a big thing, you know, they won a historic event. That's the only possibility we got someone to to beat her because last year the the girl from Barcelona, uh, Alexia Poteas, she didn't play in that. She didn't have a particularly good season. So in my view, it's Sam hands down. And that's that's an historic achievement that we actually may not, Um, we may not replicate for many, many, many decades. That's actually how brilliant Sam Kerr is. Just amazing. And thank goodness there's no
1: AFLW team uh, when Sam Kerr was looking at a... A career path when it came to sport yeah, because of, a, uh, of course, a father and her brother being involved in Australian rules footy. Exactly. Craig, yeah. um, as I said, we could talk for hours. Can I ask you, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen an English Premier League side or certainly season start the way it's happened with Manchester United no. and Liverpool not winning a game. Uh, in the first two rounds. (laughs) What's happening at United? Because, of course, you played Uh, at Crystal Palace and at Portsmouth, so you understand the English psyche when
2: it comes to this. This is a big story in the UK. Oh, it's big. It's big. um, They've been a mess for some years, Manchester United, of course. And when Louis van Gaal couldn't sort them out, highly experienced, and Mourinho in particular, um, you know, who's had success everywhere he's gone, you know that there's something that's not right within the club because it's not down only to the coach. That's a fact. But what's, what we've seen in the last couple of years is basically just a total lack of strategy. So they just, they're just they lurching from one disaster to the next. And last year when they got rid of Solskjaer, who I think had reached his ceiling, they ha- it was clear that they hadn't planned someone beyond him. So then they were under pressure, and then they decided to go get Ralph Rangnick, which to me was a totally crazed appointment. And I'll tell you why. is because he was the architect behind mines and then... Uh, Klopp at Dortmund, who he trained um, and who followed him as a coach, and then Leipzig in particular. And football fans who've watched the the Bundesliga know that those are, uh, particularly Leipzig, where he, he was the overseer, Rangnick's football is the most intense... Um, in terms of running, in terms of pressing and getting the ball back. It's all about physical work and playing as forward as quickly as possible and as few as passes. Well, that's not Manchester United, and that's certainly not the players they have now. So they brought in a guy that the way he coaches and sees the game is totally opposite to the bunch of players they have because Cristiano Ronaldo is not going to do that. It's impossible. Mm. So now what they've done is brought Tan Hag, who is like second to him. He's not, a, he's not far off. And Ten Hag is very clear on the way he wants to play football, and Cristiano Ronaldo cannot participate in that. He doesn't want to. He does not want to, at his age, run around and chase everyone and try and get the ball back all the time. You know, he just wants to be in front of goal. So there's a disconnect there uh, about who they've got as personnel and who they're signing as coach. Now, I've got to say, I think Ten Hag's brilliant. I, I actually think he's the right signing Um, but it's clear that his football is so far advanced on what they've been playing that they're really struggling to get there. I'm surprised. I thought he was going to do much better than this, but, I mean, they've got Liverpool next. So this is like, you know, this is total disaster (laughs) for Manchester United. And everyone else is laughing around the world, but um, there's something wrong in the club. And I think part of it is this, you know, kind of player's, having um, a path perhaps to the owners or, you know, the club is just not well run. They've spent over a billion pounds in the last, I'm not sure, 10 years on players. uh, And they're so far off the mark, it's not even funny. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Craig, it's
1: always a pleasure. Thanks for uh, taking our call and having a chat. I really enjoyed it, mate. We'll uh, keep connected and uh, good luck uh, regarding the Champions League coverage on uh, Stan as well. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. Good on you, Craig Foster. Thanks for joining us. Interesting, also regarding Manchester United, Elon Musk, the world's richest man, sent uh, footy fans worldwide into meltdown. Uh, He went on Twitter, the world's richest man, and after initially talking politics, when he tweeted, to be clear, I support the left half of the Republican Party and the right half of the Democratic Party, he then went on to say, also, I'm buying Manchester United. You're welcome. Now, There were 200,000 likes within a couple of hours when he posted that. And then he said, no, no, I'm only kidding. I'm only joking. So Elon Musk there (laughs) saying his bit. Now, I mentioned about uh, Gene Simmons and Kiss. Uh, He looks like being a uh, guest at the Carlton Collingwood match. It's just good
2: to be home. It really feels
4: like that to us.
3: And if they're playing, maybe uh, maybe catch a game by the Blues. You never know. You're a Carlton fan. Well, you've got to watch Gene Simmons' Family Jewels and see the whole story. They'll tell you. Now, how do you know I that? I didn't know that because I suppose... Got They've got, awesome. okay. got a big match this weekend, actually. They could do with your support, Gene.
1: Don't start something you're not going to finish. We, we might be there.
3: Okay. You might be at the Carlton might game.
1: Might be. An
3: exclusive.
1: Yes, he's got the touch, and I'll leave you with this. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow night from 5 here on SENWA. Oh.